Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast To Hell and Back. I've been on a bit of a hiatus for the last three months. Today's guest informed me that one of her favorite rock and roll groups, the Beastie Boys, has a song called The Hiatus Is Back Off Again. And that's exactly this situation here. The, back, the, the hiatus is back off again and active podcasting is back on again with To Hell and Back. And so we'll be moving forward here. Um, and, uh, and I just wanna start with a couple of opening comments that are relevant to today's podcast. Um, the Dalai Lama wrote a book called The Art of Happiness. It's a wonderful book. Thich Nhat Hanh has responded to that in some of his teachings saying, well, he wrote a book called, Dalai Lama wrote a book called The Art of Happiness. And uh, what we need now is a book called The Art of Suffering. And he did a lot of teaching about how to suffer skillfully in order to suffer less. And then I was thinking that actually one of the arts of happiness is to suffer more skillfully. And one of the ways to suffer less is to create happiness. So they actually are a dialectic. Uh, they, they really influence each other. They go together, they're interdependent. And I was thinking about today's guest, uh, Andrea Gold, who's been a guest three previous times on this podcast over the past year. And, uh, and I've kept up with her for the past year as she's gone through the um, rigors, the anxieties, the ups and downs of uh, having cancer diagnosed and then having various stages of treatment go on. And so there's been different kinds of suffering, different kinds of transitions. And she's been, um, you know, I don't wanna embarrass her with this, but as much as anyone I've known, I think she's been an expert in how to reduce suffering in the face of suffering by suffering skillfully, not by making it go away, but how to encounter suffering in an artful way, and also how to create happiness uh, in all of the times that she's suffering and the intervals between suffering. I mean, because this is somebody who has a lot of people dependent on her too. She has young children. She has a husband. She has a very close friend who was on one of the podcasts. She has a lot of friends. She's a very affiliative kind of person. She runs a program. I mean, she's uh, so so. She, a lot of other people sort of react to her, and she so she's been taking care of a lot of people by how she's managed her suffering and how she's created happiness while she's gone along the way. So this is what. So it's just one of the themes today is looking back after one year of treatment, literally tomorrow, one year ago tomorrow, she had the beginning of her treatment for uh, breast cancer. About two weeks ago, a year ago, something like that, I'm not counting correctly, but she was, uh, she, she was diagnosed. Two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks ago plus a year, she was uh, diagnosed. And she was diagnosed literally the day before she went to the funeral service of her beloved mentor and a real icon himself in the DBT world, uh, Seth Axelrod. And uh, so 
a year ago was an extraordinarily significant transition in her life. And so we're gonna catch up with her. What's happened this past year? What's happening now? Uh, and reflect on it from the perspective, especially of how does she use DBT principles and strategies and skills to help in the art of suffering and in the art of creating happiness. And uh, we, we don't know where this conversation is gonna go exactly, but uh, that's sort of the headlines. So I wanna now formally introduce Andrea Gold again. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Charlie. She's coming to us actually from Queens, New York, which is not where she lives. Uh, and she can explain that uh, as part of telling about what's going on with her. And, um, and Andrea is a, uh, a fact, she's on the faculty at Brown University. She's a clinical psychologist with a PhD with special interest in uh, exposure, treatment, anxiety disorders, uh, borderline personality disorder, DBT, CBT. And she runs a, she directs a program at Bradley Hospital in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, that's a DBT-based program. So um, yeah, that's probably enough for formal introduction. And you, those of you who've heard other podcasts have heard it before that part, but the rest of this should be new, um, what happens now. So I just want, there's, Andrea has, I, I said she's completed a year of treatment and that's been a year that has included, I mean, being diagnosed, having a mastectomy, having chemotherapy for months, having radiation for months, having another treatment called FESGO for months, and now being done, all done with that. And that's what she thought was gonna be the end for now of all of this treatment. And now, as she's gonna tell us, she decided to uh, enter into a clinical trial of something that uh, um, is a less standard treatment up to now. And so she's gonna tell us about that about that and how she's doing and where she is and everything. So I'm gonna sort of leave that open to you, Andrea, to sort, sort of fill in the blanks of things I've said and also bring us up to date about where things are at and, and how you're doing. I have a lot of filling in reactions to your so many points you made. Thank you for all of that, Charlie. I wanna start with where I am emotionally. Um, sure. Before getting into content, so we um right now i'm at babcha's and jadek's house so that's polish for grandma and grandpa i'm at our in-laws and um in so my husband's childhood house in queens new york because like charlie said i'll i'll be starting a new clinical trial that that we'll get to but we drove here last night and this morning you know i definitely felt anxiety coming into doing a podcast i intentionally chose to this with without preparing and my therapist coached me for zero percent preparation and, and the uh -huh. idea is something we're going to talk some more about but really this exposure lifestyle because anxiety can tell us to to avoid things so not doing it not preparing not thinking about it or to jump in with the opposite and over control over prepare and throughout my my life, but my career in particular, I've gotten stuck in both extremes. And so for the past decade, I've really been looking for opportunities, both big and small, to, to practice this exposure lifestyle where I'm, I'm diving into an exposure approach. And so Charlie and I had some emails talking about some topics, but I've, I've intentionally resisted writing things down or planning things out. So of course, 
anxiety is rising. And this morning I spent some time feeling that anxiety with my six-year-old Olive. I told her, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to record this video. Oh, it's, it's kind of cool. It's like those YouTube videos you watch, but actually not, not as cool. You know, I'm feeling nervous. What should I do, Olive? And, and she said, you should take a few deep breaths. And then she, they learned this, um, tracing your fingers for like for each finger the in breath and the out breath and she did that to me and just um I don't know I always enjoyed touch and moments with my kids before cancer but I'm especially attuned now this year of being all in on those moments of connecting with my girls just because you know a lot of what I deal with and what we can you know get more into is just this fear of, of leaving them um or dying from cancer and so I just I just really felt that love and joy this morning and it wasn't a moment where I was squashing my anxiety by pushing it down or letting it control me by planning it was just letting it be and then feeling you know Olive's fingers on mine so I then started talking to Charlie I said how I was feeling irritable like little things were were bothering me you know not having the, the video on the um computer I'm on be what I'm used to and, and I think the other thing about anxiety is we, we're more sensitive to different cues and irritability can can come up and then Charlie and I talked some more and I, I noticed myself starting going from emotion mind to wise mind and then that excitement came up and, and being able to reflect on this because you know when we talked Charlie in I believe it was June, our first podcast was after I finished chemo before my mastectomy. So that was after the first leg of treatment, right. the first health. Um, you know, you had said radical acceptance got me to the starting line um, by diving in. So that first, you know, two and a half weeks before chemo, I had learned I had cancer. There are so many experiences where it's like, how is this really happening? And, you know, this, this, moments of forgetting that it's real and then it hitting you and I I come to this all of this with with so much privilege of um access to education training and and really it's outstanding mentor Seth being just one of many aware I've learned DBT and I've also learned exposure therapy and so I was able to tell people about my cancer tell my story that functioned as, as an exposure and as an imaginal exposure of the trauma of learning how I had my cancer and then get to the, the starting line to, to do this. And this whole year, which is just, it's just wild um, that it's been a fucking year. Um, it feels like decades and it feels like, like a flash at the same time. Um I have thrown myself into, I have cancer. What now, how am I going to, how am I going to grow from this in ways that I want to grow and have fun and joy and all those things. So, so, so then I start getting excited while we're talking before, before we start and just, and so it's more nerve sighted, nervous and excited than just nervous. Um, the nerve, the nervousness went down. And as Charlie, you were talking about the suffering and the happiness, I could see thoughts forming in my head with rational mind, where now I really feel like I'm in a wise mind place. And I think I felt that when, when you, when you started the official intro here, and it's a good example for me of how, I think when I teach people about our DBT states of mind, sometimes people are thinking, 
well, I can't be a wise mind because I'm crying or I can't be a wise mind because I'm, I'm feeling strong emotions. And, and actually wise mind is, is both, both the, the emotions as they are and being able to think and have reason and, and whatnot. So that was a very long-winded way of explaining where I am emotionally. And I'm also noticing a more of feeling of calmness in my body. Yeah. And it's coming through. And, and I think that you're sort of demonstrating wise mind in that respect. If somebody is paying close attention and, and if they, especially if somebody knew you a bit, because, you know, you're being in wise mind doesn't mean not having intense emotions, bad emotions, good emotion, whatever you call them. But, but being in wise mind is to have your emotions. Like, let's say your anxiety, you're an expert in treating anxiety. It's having your anxiety. It's taking your anxiety along with you, but it's not being submerged in it. Like you're in the ocean and you just got overtaken by your anxiety. It's, it's having your anxiety with you and, and moving forward. And I, I think that wise mind, which sometimes gets a bad name in DBT because it sounds sort of flaky, and sort of weird, uh, and it sounds cultish, you know, but I've, I've come to think it really is just what you're demonstrating, what you're describing, which is that you're able to be in place in yourself and have your emotions and have your thoughts and not be taken over by them, but also not putting them away. So I think that you're sort of, and I think that exposure lifestyle idea has just been something I've watched you do for this past year i mean i i could probably go through episode after episode which i don't want to do because it's your business but it's sort of like you've had so many episodes where you have leaned into things that you could have avoided you could have avoided maybe not because you're a highly emotional person to begin with but i mean it's so not, not easy to avoid but you you've deliberately gone at things that were frightening or worrisome or anxiety provoking yeah. with the idea that exposure is valuable when I think thinking about wise mind and mindfulness being the path to wise mind, you know, you know, there's a quote like mindfulness is you controlling your mind instead of your mind controlling you. And I noticed a shift in the past um, 40 minutes where before I got on on the Zoom with you to do our prep, my anxiety was really trying to move my body, you know, move my actions, move my thoughts. And and now I didn't squash it. I didn't avoid it. The things bringing it up are still here. I'm actually, if anything, getting up close and personal with them by doing this unscripted podcast and um, other things I have going on today. And I'm able to choose what I want to think about, what I want to talk about, who I want to look at, you know, things like that, where I'm directing my attention. And I think there's a way when when I first learned DBT that that I love that it wasn't about getting rid of strong emotions that I have as a sensitive person or pain in life because the reality is being alive means accepting that pain is is a huge part of it. Cancer is a part of life. Losses, um, fights, anger, all these things, conflict. It's it's being able to live with it and who you are and have skills for, for what to do about it. And so I think there's a beautiful way in which the skills I've learned and practiced for, for dealing with other stuff in my life and my DBT training set me up for this. And it's been a whole new world to, to apply DBT to. So Charlie, you mentioned in your intro that I've been taking care of a lot of people. And it's funny because I think that's just one side of the dialectic. The other side is a hell of a lot of people have been taking care of me in so many different ways. 
And I had the thought when I heard you say that I've been taking care of people, I'm like, oh, no, 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 but the people have been taking care of me. And it's it's really the synthesis of the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder when you think if you let your mind just roam right now over the past year, and you just were talking about what this means to do an exposure lifestyle and to try to be in wise mind. I mean, can you, what what example or examples stand out for you of where you've had to do that or how and then how you've done that? What what have you leaned into? What have you exposed yourself to that you could have avoided? So my mind, as you asked that, is going going to a metaphor that that helps me for you're asking for an example, but for me, I'm going to like what are the principles? And then I can fill it in with lots of examples. And metaphor as as a dialectical strategy really helps me get to a place of like I know. And and I think of, you know, wise mind as I know, whereas emotion mind is I I want and I feel and and rational mind as I think and wise mind is a way of knowing and that you need both you need the emotions as part of knowing but you need the reason too mm-hmm. so the other day um my daughter Charlie who's now two and a half oh shit tomorrow tomorrow she's two and a half exactly look at that she's still at the age that you do half birthdays yes. and Olive is very jealous that Charlie's half birthday is a month before Olive's which she can't fathom why it should come before it if Charlie's younger he's <laughs> a six-year-old things that are hard to accept yes um but charlie charlie's been sick and so her that that being physically ill brings up her emotional vulnerability she hasn't been at school at daycare so the lack of structure is bringing up her vulnerability and emotional mind too i'm taking her to school my emotional vulnerability is high for for various reasons of where i am and she wants a doll getting in the car so i hand her olive's doll no not that doll I try handing her another doll and it's, I want um, Elsa doll. It was hard to understand, but she wanted Elsa doll. So I was like, great, I can go get Elsa doll. Well, I thought Elsa doll was one of her two Elsa stuffies. And so I was like, okay, she wants like a plastic doll doll. <laughs> and so I grab like, like a Barbie type doll that's blonde that looks like Elsa because I can't find the actual Elsa one. I don't even know if we have one, to be honest. And I get, and that's not enough. And I'm like trying to get her to school, doll after doll. I'm frantically, this this thing, this child, well, thing, I'm calling my child a thing. This child is like the screaming thing, demanding, very much like emotion mind. I want what I want and I want it now, even if right. it's not clearly expressing what it, you know, what it wants. And so, so in this metaphor, you can see my screaming toddler is a good example of emotion mind and anxiety. And I, at one point, I'm like, I'm just running circles around this house and trying to get get Charlie to be quiet, um, which would be negatively reinforcing to me because I don't want to hear her scream. And I tried a lot. It's not working. We've got to go. And so I made the choice. And the thing to do then on the drive is not keep talking about which doll and this and that, but just ride it out, ride the wave. And she needed to to cry and feel. Mm. And mm. I I got caught in to trying to squash it, trying to bring it down with starting to put on different music and things. And so the parallel here with exposure 
is we have distressing or unpleasant emotions. Typically with exposure, it's anxiety, but it could be any range of emotions. Um, and doing things, so we call it in our exposure model, submitting um, to rituals that either avoid the emotion coming up in the, in the beginning or bringing it down and just escaping it. That in the short term works. Yeah, yeah. It feeds it in the long term. And so I, as the parent, you know, I'm trying to notice other examples with my kids where I, I'm giving into things um, that aren't effective in, in the short term and letting them ride it out. And so it's, it's an interesting, I think parenting is really hard. That's something Seth would say a lot. Parenting is hard and I'm really feeling it now with the two and a six-year-old and then I cancer. It's a whole nother story, but even without cancer, it's really hard. It's very um, hard, very hard. And, 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 and figuring out the art of when to, um, help your child distract from things like that and move on to something because there's all those alternatives and and versus just cry it out you know and i'm i'm thinking about your situation when you were having your uh you were you were somebody was trying to uh start a, a line or draw blood from you mm -hmm. and it, and couldn't get it and it was extremely painful and you were starting to cry and if i remember right this person said to you come on don't cry don't cry and as, so it's kind of like, hold it, don't, don't, don't vent, don't cry, don't, don't feel that, you know, shut it down. And, and then you responded to that afterwards by going into a bathroom and calling your close friend, Amy, and talking to her and crying it out. <laughs> sort of like the, the, the need to expose yourself to your emotions and to expose yourself skillfully. It isn't like you were taken over and you were doing something not productive. You were doing what you needed to do. Yeah. to uh, to encounter the pain yeah 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 and and with the charlie example you know if i could get elsa doll quickly and if i could solve the problem great and then there's a situation like this this become became an unsolvable problem and i needed to stop trying to do things to bring down the emotion and so i think goodness um i think that one way that this has come up repeatedly throughout the year. It really ebbs and flows, but it's it's the fear of dying soon, earlier than I'd like from cancer. And the precursor to that is my cancer metastasizing. Um, mm. And even if, you know, I, I think there's a lot of unknowns what I know is if my, you know, my cancer was stage three, which means I'm at a high risk of recurrence. If just one cancer cell made it through chemo, radiation, surgery, you know, mm. it could spread that happens and being in different, um, you know, support groups, online communities for, for her to breast cancer. I see cases, you know, where, where it happens. That means I'd be on treatment for life, treatment every three weeks for life. That mm. is a dialectic. Mm. On the one hand, how wonderful that there's a treatment that exists that I could extend life in that way. And that's something that really has been a change in science in my lifetime, really since I was in middle school, high school, that's when the Herceptin trials really came out. And we have this new drug for HER2 cancer that, that allows people to live. At the same time, I look at the clinical trials for metastatic HER2 cancer outcome measures of comparing like, oh, this is a statistical, statistically significant result. This is a good result. 
it's it's in the order of months, not years. Those are the outcome variables is look, this extended life by X number of months. Um, and I have been faced with with dying more at I was 38 when when this started, I've, I've since turned 39 than I would have ever expected under 40. And you know, one thing Seth taught me about radical acceptance was, you know, to name the, rea the reality, describe it. What are the causes of the reality? Acknowledging we may not know all the causes. And the thing that, that I really got from him was what part of it feels the most unacceptable? And to spend some time with that, like, what is it that's unacceptable? Because there's, there's stuff that's hard to accept. What's the unacceptable? And for me, me dying for me, um, that makes me deeply sad. I don't, I don't want to die. I want to be alive. I have worked my ass off to, to do this. And I, I keep doing that with treatment. The thing that just feels unacceptable is Charlie and Olive losing their mom, Chris losing his wife, you know, not having me to raise them. And so that's something I think time and time again, I I've used exposure and the two parts to exposure there are the exposure of being mindful and experiencing the emotions as they are, not avoiding them and not adding on to them. The other part is what we, we talk about as opposite action in DBT is noticing the behaviors that are trying to bring down the emotions in the short term. Um, and in exposure and response prevention, in, in my line of work in OCD, you know, resisting those, resisting those rituals. And so mm -hmm. I definitely get stuck in um, a lot of it's like research, trying to look up articles, get more information, questioning, questioning decisions, um, worrying, worrying functions as a way to, to avoid actually. Um, and so I think, I don't want to say like, oh yeah, I've done exposure and that's easy. And this is exposure lifestyle. I right. I've quote unquote screwed up. That's a judgment, but I've, I've done the opposite of exposure and I've had to catch myself validate, of, of course I've gotten stuck in this, you know, and then turn my mind to, to bring exposure to it. And I, and I think when I hear you talking about some of these things that you're saying now about what you've needed to expose yourself to is and radically acceptant and how closely these are connected to each other. Um, that um, in all of these situations, whether you're talking about dying or you're talking about treatments and whether treatment's gonna help and whether your children are gonna lose their mother and whether you, know, you should do another trial. I mean, every one of these things is, it's partly the radical acceptance of uncertainty. Exactly. Radical acceptance of not knowing. In every one of these situations, when you say that what part of it is the hardest thing to accept, for some of these things, the heart of it, it's hard to accept that you don't know. And, and usually the mind does, tries to fill in the blanks with some certainty and argues about it, or two people argue about it. Well, you're going to die. No, I'm not going to die. Yeah, I just, who are going to? No, I'm not going to. And then you get caught, be, and, the, and, the, and the actual synthesis is, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's really hard to accept. And how do I just sort of position myself into my life now, doing the best thing I can do, not knowing for sure what the outcome will be of the choices I'm making? And 
And that's the really thinking so many different models of anxiety are, are at, at core intolerance of uncertainty. Mm. Uh, I think that comes up in the anxiety world. I think in DBT and borderline, I think there's a lot of, you know, with, with shame and fear of rejection and fear of abandonment, a lot of that is uncertainty and that the exposure is about embracing the uncertainty and resisting urges to get certainty. Mm. Mm. And that's something I, I think I had to pick like the big exposure target over the year. I'm sure you're right. That's that's the common thread. Hey, look, I want to. Um, I'm just. I'm. My mind just went to the mind of all the people listening who have who have heard your other podcasts, but who don't follow you on a weekly basis and don't know what's going on. If you could do just a little brief filling in of where things are at, so they because everyone's going to wonder, like, what well, what's she doing now, or what is this clinical trial, or. I yep. thought treatment was ending. Yes, it it did. It did. Ended. It's ending today. I'm calling it today. So I had um, for her two cancer, we get her septin um, for a full year. So 17 doses every three weeks. And Amy has gone to almost all of those with me. Amy's my best friend. And um, today she texted me. She's like, it's weird that we're not going to Dana-Farber today. Because um, really, we've done that for three weeks. I um, have had the most wonderful infusion nurse, Myra, be with me every three weeks for a year. And so, you know, Charlie, you talked about one way to suffer less is to increase happiness. I have made beautiful new relationships because of cancer that I wouldn't have otherwise. And, and Myra is one example of that. I think our connection in doing these po podcasts is another example. I agree. I was thinking that too. Um, and, you know, so, so I had, I had that last one, January 27th, and this is now the end of the three week cycle and I'm done. I'm done with active treatment. All of the standard of care for HER2 cancer with lymph node involvement, because my cancer did spread to my lymph nodes. I've, I've done that. Um, and there's this, there's this weird experience where um there's there's lots of oh you're done with treatment you congrats like like kind of bringing up the joy and kind of there's a lot of piling on of support at the beginning that kind of fades and what i what i feel and what i what i've talked about with other cancer survivors is this um well well shit like this actually feels like the scariest part and this is this is the hardest part and um, I think there's a way in which it's very invalidating when there's expectations about, oh, you're done. And um, a lot of this is there's adrenaline about doing the treatment, the support's piled on, you're actually doing something, which which anxiety likes. And then it's like, oh, wait, now what? And, and it's done. And there's a bit of the safety um, of going in and getting checked. That now this this phase in in the medical field they call it moving to survivorship is this what I'm transitioning into? Mm -hmm. um, I am proud to say I did my 17 doses all on time. Nothing got delayed. Um, I had completed radiation back. Uh, I think it was after our last podcast, so I had gone every day for 25 days. There was exposure involved in that because I was adjusting to both. Um, losing my breasts from my mastectomy, having scars from it, and also adjusting to, to being flat. 
Um, so not that means not having reconstruction. And it was an interesting experience where on the radiation table, um, you know, I'm laying, I'm laying naked and there's the screen on top of you where there's the reflection. And so I'm seeing my scar, but not my face, not my whole body, just that for mm. 15 minutes a day, every day. And mm. I, I, I really, um, and, and DBT helped me to do this kind of flipped it from, from not just, okay, this sucks. This is on comfortable here's emotions i'm going to actually use this as a way to get up close and personal with my pain that's literally in my face and and treat it as a daily exposure to hmm. feeling whatever i felt and sometimes i cried um and kind of adjusting in this way so i completed radiation celebrated the end of that with a donut cake in the in the shape of a radiation symbol um uh, went to the lizzo concert after that and then had an additional, um, I think it was six cycles of, of the Herceptin and Fregetta treatment, which, which is the Fezgo. And that was an interesting thing because six cycles at the end, well, that's, well, I did 11, I'm, I'm at this final leg, but six cycles is what chemo was, like the whole length of chemo that I had started doing it again. And um, during this time, I I kept saying, okay, when this treatment ends, I'll be back at work. I'll, I'll be at work here. And I had so, ha, still have so many side effects where I feel like I, I can't do my job. And um, it, it really took a lot of coming to wise mind and mindfulness practice to decide what's best for me is to keep doing medical leave until end of active treatment. That brought up a lot of shame, which I, I think was unjustified and fear, fear of judgments from others because most people don't take this long of medical leave. I'm, I'm quite privileged that I'm able to and supported. And I realized that not doing what's best for me for fear of judgments actually isn't in line with my values and what I what I pre um, teach to my, my teen patients who get stuck with that. And so there's been exposure involved in that actually. Right. Um, and then the last kind of, you know, big update is, is regarding this clinical trial. So you know, there's a lot of talk about vaccine, vaccines for cancer. And, you know, the idea is, well, there's something up with my body that caused it to overproduce this HER2 protein. And why wouldn't it just happen again is, is how I hear people talk about, like patients talk about it. Um, I found in a HER2 group, a, a trial called Flamingo. And the phase two data are quite good. Um, over five years, the women who had the vaccine, 0% went on to have a recurrence versus 11% in the in the placebo group. And that's one where, um, you know, 11% feels way too high. My, my oncologist said it's five to 7% chance in the next five years of it coming back, right. which, which is so low. It's a minority, not over 95%. It won't. And, and if it does come back, this is my one life, you know, five to seven feels too high. So I looked into it and unfortunately I'm, I don't have the gene that they've targeted for this treatment. So I don't qualify for the phase three randomized control trial, but the, the company is looking to expand it to people who don't have, have this gene, but have other types of, of this gene called HLA where it may or may not work. So there's that uncertainty damn it, you know, more, more of that. 
And there's a lot of costs and time and, and pain with lots of injections and um, travel and being in this cancer role for longer that make it unappealing. And with my goal of, of doing everything I can to not have it metastasize, I can't imagine not doing it. So I um, will be in the exploratory arm. I am where I 100% will get it. And it's it's unknown whether it will work. Um, the My oncologist talked to the head of the trial who said, you know, it's biologically plausible it could work. And we don't know, there's that uncertainty. And for a motivated young patient, it's per perfectly reasonable. My emotional mind didn't like that because I want the, she should do it or she shouldn't. And of so, course, you know, and and there's wisdom in doing it, and there's wisdom in not doing it, and that's the the dialectic there. And one of the things I was impressed about over the past couple of months, while you wrestled with whether to do this, was, you know, one of the things that I think you you have to do to really find dialectical solutions is have a big pause, where you don't make a decision, where you if if time allows, if life allows it, let yourself weigh this and go back and forth. And, and also what you did was not only give yourself time and go back and forth, even though that itself generates anxiety, but also, you know, hearing what other people think, not that anybody actually knows, but you're bound, you're, you're such an affiliative person that you're bouncing it off of everybody else, including my, I, through my, my own complete inexpert opinion in, um, I must admit, and other people did too. And then you ended up coming up with a, a plan um, and 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 a synthesis and deciding to do it and and it's a big pain in the butt that you're going to do it you know that there's a lot of trips to New York that are unfunded and that are a pain in the ass and when you're trying to go back to work and you have your family so it's you know you're I, I'm glad that you're doing it but that is ir irrelevant to the big picture because it's there's total uncertainty about whether it's going to help you I am committed my what my oncologist ultimately said was why don't you do it? If the side effects are really bad, if it's horrible, drop out. Okay, but there's the synthesis. You, you're, you're doing it and you could drop out. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really good. Um, yeah, so that's the, that's the update. And now, so what, what was gonna be an ending and I'm just launching into complete survivorship um, and the suffering of survivorship and, and the opportunities of survivorship, you're, you're into another phase of things. Yeah, now, which they mean? handed me the schedule for it. They want me scheduling through the year 2029. <laughs> oh my God, 2029. And and of course, and I know that you're already planning your 10-year cancerversary party like 2032 or something. That's right. Like that. Yeah, 2032. I've got it on my calendar. Yep. <laughs> that is when my oncologist said 0% chance I'll die from this cancer. So, um, yeah. I, you know... It's it's wild, and I, and I think you know it's meaningful to do this podcast today, where I where I'm in this transition. I've always transitions have always been hard for me, and I know they are for a lot of people. And it feels important to celebrate and acknowledge the end of active treatment, and to still start this new one. So, um, I I actually want to take a moment with you and and people listening to notice that I did it. I did. I did the year and we did it, um, a huge fucking village of people across the world. Um, 
It's true. It's true. It's, it's a huge accomplishment in one year to do this and everything you've been through. It's easy to fold it into a discussion for one hour, but oh my God, what a year it's been. And, and you've hung in there and you've enriched your relationships during it. And you've had a lot of joyful, good times and a, and a Lizzo concert, you know? And I found this thing, there was a prompt online of, of filling in circles for five things cancer has stolen from me and five things cancer has given me uh-huh. five positive things it was it was um by this woman chelsea gomez her her kind of social media handle is oh you're so tough so for people listening who like um dialectics and can't want to understand how to support people with cancer particularly the aya community so that's adolescent young adult but i i, don't, I think it's good for for older people too um there's some beautiful stuff there and and she's she's been really helpful to me um Actually, I'll just share for people listening three accounts that I like if you want to learn more about cancer and also like the dark humor that comes with it are, oh, you're so tough. Um, Thanks, Cancer, who, who's actually become my friend, Leanna, has some beautiful things and, and her message is how to be both grateful and miserable when it comes to cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, the cancer patient is another account. And uh, so for, I have, I have on my phone, I pulled it up. So the five things cancer has stolen from me, I wrote, and this was months ago, but I wrote, my nipples, gone forever, sleep, so much sleep, I've lost so much sleep this year, my ability to work during treatment, um, which that is really a dialectic, because I've had, it's been a huge loss that I haven't worked in my standard way, and I think that's partly why I've done so much DVT stuff, is I miss it, and so I'm keeping that alive. Um... And, oh, I, I kind of cheated. I put like five things in this one circle. Money, medical bills, lost wages, retirement money, shit adds up. So that's what I put for the things that's st- stolen from me. And then five things that's given me. Oh, oh, sorry, I forgot. The ability to fart without a fear of a shark. <laughs> so, um, I think being able to laugh at sharding has also been good because it sucks to shit your pants just in life as, as an adult and that's been a big part of my treatment so that's one of the things I'm looking forward to with active treatment ending is hopefully the shards ending or at least at that point I can no longer blame it on my cancer treatment it's <laughs> right. I actually asked my oncologist that way I was like so when do the progetta side effects end when can I stop blaming progetta on my shards Maybe I shards on Perjada, excuse me. Um, and then five things cancer's given me. Um, I, I put these these people that I've connected with, including Oh, You're So Tough and Thanks Cancer. A renewed love of writing. I really have renewed my love of writing. Reconnections with old friends and acquaintances. New relationships. My infusion nurse is an amazing human being. And then what we've been talking about together, Charlie, ways to build deeper mastery of my coping skills, DBT, and make meaning. So I would like to ring the bell of end of active treatment with you, with all of you here. A lot of cancer centers have patients ring the bell at the end of treatment. It's controversial. In in radiation, it's more typical because everyone finishes radiation. In chemo, it depends on the hospital. My hospital doesn't do it because not everyone gets to end it. And I actually like that. Um, but I want to ring this now. I meant to bring my mindfulness singing bowl. And you, I forgot to bring it to Queens. But my mother-in-law has this bell here.
So this is in honor of a year of active treatment and finishing it. Oh. Yay! Hey! Oh my God. Anybody listening has got to be feeling like so happy for you. I mean, at this point, you know, the end of active treatment and also the, the fear of going forward. But, you know, this is the this is the celebration part. This is the celebration part. It's so great, Andrea. You've been through so much. And so skillfully, I've just I've learned so much from you. I really have. And, and one of the things I've learned from you and, and I've been applying it more in my life is that when I feel bad or when I'm facing something that's causing me suffering, to deliberately redirect my attention to trying to do something that's fun, try to do something that's positive, try to think of something else that's positive. That part about creating, able to create happiness in the moment out of suffering. Um, and, and you've just been so good at that. You've had, there's so many examples when I go through our podcasts of, of you going to a treat, treatment and you and Amy, even the pictures that I see that come from you and Amy with your, you know, giving, sticking your third finger to the world, you know, <laughs> about cancer, fuck cancer. I mean, and, and there's a, there's a quality when you're smiling and, and, uh, but, but genuinely kind of saying fuck cancer and also doing it together with someone else you know, and, and singing or having someone else sing or listening to music and planning ahead, coping ahead with what mm -hmm. you're going to do to face a difficult moment. Um, you've just been, you know, you, you are extraordinary at that. And, uh, you know, or making sure you take your kids to the zoo in the same afternoon that you have treatment in the morning. It's just like, you know, so I've learned a lot. I, I appreciate it. I thank you for what you've given me and probably other people who've listened to this podcasts over over this past year there's something here and you say that that gives me peace thinking about okay so if, if my worst case scenario happens and and my cancer metastasizes it's not just like a switch is turned off it's okay and then i keep doing this stuff and you do this stuff yeah i mean you've been already facing and we all can, and we all have our own versions of this. We do. We do. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned to you in advance, I didn't know if I wanted to do it, but I have a song that I wrote about exposure that sort of matches your exposure lifestyle, the way you've talked about it. And I'm going to sing it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I've debated whether to do it or not, because I don't want it just to take away from a podcast about what you're talking about, but it's sort of close to it. And I wrote it quite some time ago around a different podcast, maybe years ago. So God knows if anybody ever heard it. Um, so here's what it is. It's to the tune of uh, What a Day for a Daydream uh, by The Love and Spoonful from the 60s and 70s. It goes like this. What a day for exposure. What a day to confront my fears. Uh, it's the way to get closure on what's been haunting me for years and years. And though my trauma memories are poor, my thoughts are deadly and my body keeps score. Every day I avoid more and more. It's gotten to where I won't even open my door. What a day for exposure, to act opposite the urge to avoid. It's the way to get closure to face my fears and learn I won't be destroyed. If, if I insist that you stay by my side, 
please turn me down. It's just another way to hide. I've got to walk this path that feels so dire. I've got to learn that I can go through the fire. And now I expose myself to things every day. I do it repeatedly and all of the way. And when I notice myself running away, I turn around and I can hear myself say, what a day for exposure. Perfect day for confronting my fears. It's a way to get closure about what has haunted me for years and years. Do 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 and on and on. <laughs> I'm so glad you sang that. Um, it has a lot there. There's, you know, it's that's the thing about writing these kind of songs is you have to think of how to get the basic ideas in certain rhyme and rhythm, and you don't have much space. You know, the one that the one that stuck out to me actually comes back full circle from the question you asked me about the beginning of what are some exposures I've I've chosen to to approach and the I've got to learn I can go through the fire. I love that because exposure is is new learning is is what it is and mm -hmm. I, we talked a lot about exposures related to uncertainty as a thread. The other big core fear is, is pain, is the physical discomfort. And um, mm. one of the scariest for me was, was having to get my thyroid biopsy December of this year. So mm. the other thing that's happened since, since we talked is, um, you know, it sucks to have to get a biopsy after you've had a biopsy that's positive because that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had um, thyroid nodules that needed to be checked out. Oh shit, this actually combines uncertainty and pain because the the ultrasound um had some ambiguity and my oncologist had told me, you know, we're gonna you, you need to do a bio biopsy and it's possible it could be inconclusive. And so there, there's that uncertainty piece, but there's also the pain of needles in your neck. And needles this year, I've had so many. I don't like them to begin with. With exposure, we talk about with repeated um, ex exposure experience with a stimulus, you can have something called habituation where you have less of a response. There's also the opposite that with repeated exposure to some stimulus, you can have sensitization. And that's what my experience has been with needles. Mm. Um, but, but the, you know, with exposure, you can learn a combination of one of, of three things, either the bad thing that you think is going to happen, isn't going to happen. Well, I thought it would hurt to have needles in my neck and feel bad. And it did. You could learn it's not as bad as you predict. Now it was, it actually was worse. Or you could learn that it did happen. It's not as bad. And right. I, I can learn that I can go through the fire. And, and, and I did that and that was a lot of this treatment. And, and I think having that mindset helps me go into the exposures and not avoid, which, which um, helps. And then going in line, Charlie, what you said about positive emotions, joy, and, and, you know, thinking about the ABC skills for emotion regulation, building mastery, being able to look at this of like, okay, I'm building mastery with going through the fire. There's a sense of pride and accomplishment that that I've 
I've intentionally chosen to savor this year. No, you've intentionally, you know, I've, I've known people who went through cancer treatment that I would say were dragged through it. They had to do it. They hated it. They were frightened every day. They, they laid on their couch. They didn't do things to generate happiness or to take care of things in a certain way. And it was really tough. And, and what you faced is also really tough, but there's some way you've maintained your, your proactive initiative nature where you've leaned into things and you've structured things and you've coped ahead in that other DBT skill and you've built mastery and you've accumulated positive emotions. So you've done all these things, which, are, which Marsha Linehan put in this manual for this exact reason. Um, I want to name the dialectic there and what you just said that I had days where I didn't do that. I absolutely had days, so many days this year where mm. the couch, et cetera. I want, I want to name that. And that mm. to this at a place of having 15 years of learning DBT and practicing mm. it to come, you know, to come to that. And, and one way that that's helped me cope is the, and I, and I think this fits with the the I've taken care of other people is writing about and sharing about my DBT has helped me to contribute and and to share this with others. No, and you have even during, I mean, during this year on the DBT listserv, which for people listening, this is for DBT therapists who can just constantly get emails and put in emails about DBT and and. And, and Andrea's just a, been a regular contributor even throughout all of this and giving, and stuff not having nothing to do with cancer. You've stayed, you've kept your foot in this door and, and kept working. And I always know when you're gonna respond, Andrea, kind of, I can tell when there's a certain types of topics being discussed, I'm thinking, okay, Andrea is about to write something. And usually it's the same time that certain other people that I know are about to write something. And, and, you, and you're always very sharp the way you explain things and very compassionate. So, you know, it's funny, Charlie. Um, and the other thing from DBT that I've used to deal with cancer and life stress is a reverence. Um, yeah. And I, I spent a shit ton of year, a shit ton of time this year on the toilet with, with chemo diarrhea, progetta poop, all, you know, all this. And I got such a kick at the DBT conference this year with um, Esme is a DBT therapist who's telling me how she, she appreciated my replies. And, and I just like totally irreverently looked at her. I was like, yeah, I write most of those while I'm pooping. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> not being able to take things seriously, really. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's, Char that's... Charlie, I'm wondering if we could do three things to close. This is my idea. I know it's your yeah. podcast, but can I tell you my ideas and see what you think? Oh, totally. This is this is your podcast slash my podcast. This is an interdependent podcast here. It's a dialectic. So yeah. one is, I just want to share one last thought on transitions. Okay. Two, I'd love it if you could share those four themes just to wrap up that you shared with me. Okay. And three, I started with my emotional reactions. I'd love for you to share with, with the listeners your emotions, you know, with, with what we've been discussing. How's that sound? That sounds fine. So, and, and I know we have to stop. You have something coming up and, and we have five minutes to do this. Or, or, we have 10 minutes. We, we can or, do 10 minutes. Okay, so why don't you, so the, what was the first, first thing you were saying is I wanted to say something about transitions. Yes, please. So I am showing a whiteboard for people watching. If, if you are listening, no worries, I'll explain it verbally. And if you really want to see it, 
Charlie, would you please post this image on your website? Okay. Yep. So this is something I'm using kind of today to show transitions. So the blue is a kind of mountain peak. It's, it's basically like seeing two mountain peaks and a valley in the middle. And so one mountain's blue, the other one's green. And I think this is what transitions are like. The blue is I had my peak and I'm kind of moving out of active treatment. Technically it's ending. And anyone who's been through chemo and cancer treatment tells you it doesn't end when it ends. There's a lot of residual um, side effects and things. Physically, chemo, brain, fatigue, weakness, et cetera, but also, also emotionally and the, the trauma element of it that keep going. So that's the trail end in the valley of, of the year of active treatment of being away from work. It's, it's been a loss for me. It's been painful to not work with my colleagues, not treat my patients. The green, and there's, there's lots of other losses from this one, the green mountain valley. And Charlie, can you see me move my mouse? Yes. Thank you. So green now is what I'm moving into. This clinical trial, new treatments, new opportunities to benefit from, get help, and also suffer and, and actually be invalidated. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of invalidation that comes with, with being a patient and medical um, environments that could be a whole other discussion. It's also moving back to work, which I'm so freaking excited to see my colleagues and be back there. And I know there's going to be a lot of challenges with being a therapist again and um, having the stamina to be at work and whatnot and, and learning how to take care of myself in the way the way that I need that I'm, you know, on board for. But it's a, it's a change. And so, you know, I've always known transitions are hard. And it just hit me this morning like, oh, shit transitions are dialectics and it's easy to get stuck on, okay, well, this thing is over and this thing's starting, but actually, you know, this new thing hasn't quite started yet and it's still happening. And this old thing that we think is done is, is still affecting us. And that's the dialectic. And I draw this here because something that Seth taught me is his way of thinking about dialectics that you've got these two opposite sides. So you can think of them as these two peaks. When one person is on one side and the other person is on the other, they can get polarized, right? So if I'm saying, hey, come over here, see this side, the other person's like, no, 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 you gotta see this side. And what Seth said is sometimes one person, let's say it's the person on the blue side here, is thinking they're being dialectical, thinking they're communicating dialectically. Usually it's, you know, in, in this example, it was as the therapist, like, okay, I'm naming A and B, they're both true. Yet it's it's actually not allowing people to, to communicate and get to synthesis. And what he explained is when you're at the peak, you can't really see the valley, you can't see the whole thing. And it's easy to take for granted that I'm naming both sides. I might be saying and instead of but, and yet it's still not functioning as a dialectic because mm -hmm. when you're at the peak, all you can see are the peaks. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's been something that I've, I've applied in our consultation team and with myself and, and can really flesh out examples that sometimes you really need to just, instead of just say, okay, A and B, you've really got to spend some time at B and really understand that. And then be able to look at A and, and look at all of it. And so um, 
I just realized how much this fits with transitions and I wanted to share this with you, Charlie. That's, I, I love it. I love it. It's really interesting. There's a lot more to be said about that. It's just a great metaphor. So I, I like many other things you've shared that you learned with Seth, um, it's really makes a big impact. It's really well. Now you said two other things and they both are my things then. Um, you wanted me to say, say four things. So while I'll just say quickly, <laughs> uh, when I was reviewing the podcasts of the past year that I've done with Andrea, and I thought of at one point, I wrote down every skill from DBT manual that I thought she has used. And, and really in two podcasts, it came up to 75 skills. So she's like a very skillful person using all of these skills and she knows the skills. And, but, but you know, within the world of DBT skills, certain skills are like more than skills. They're principles, they're foundational. They're like, they're skills around which other skills grow. And so I just was thinking how much these four things uh, have been foundational for Andrea in the past year. Number one, radical acceptance. That there have been so many things she's, she's worked at accepting, things that are hard to accept. And she's talked about them one after another, after another, after another. It's just a foundational part of how she has functioned is to realize, oh shit, look what's happening. Well, I guess that's what's happening. Uh, and, and somehow making that transition to acceptance, which then allows her to open the door to various possible ways to go instead of being stuck. Secondly, um, opposite action and exposure, which are more or less the same thing, but opposite action being the skill based on exposure principles. And, and there's just been so much uh, having to cope with the desire to avoid things and the urge to avoid things that exposure and opposite action are foundational ways. They're way more than one skill. They're, in fact, there's, you know, it's a whole part of psychology. Um, the third thing was um, this sort of creating happiness by doing what in what Marsha called the ABC skills, accumulating positive emotions on purpose, doing things deliberately that are in the short run or long run help you generate positive emotions. Secondly, the B part of ABC being to build mastery by do things every day that you can that will sort of like make you feel a little better about you've taken care of something and it was a little bit difficult. And, the th and then the third thing is coach C, the coping ahead. I'm thinking what's it gonna be like when I get this treatment tomorrow and how can I, how can I generate how can I cope with this in a way that's really going to go better? And it's a, an imaginal skill, like being there, what, what can I do? So that I just think that's another huge foundational component. Yeah, go ahead. I just say with the A, um, you know, accumulate positives. There's the short term and the long term. And the short term is huge, especially with depression. And depression is a huge part of what people with cancer struggle with and cancer treatment. And so doing things each day that bring up joy, even if you don't feel good or you don't feel happy to, to do the things anyway, th that's been huge for me. Um, I've, I've taken that like a vitamin, um, done that proactively each day. And it's hard. Um, there's the A long-term, which is identifying your values and identifying goals for those values and taking small action steps that often fit with the exposure model. It's often doing these things, take facing your fears or fighting urges to avoid. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think that, that, you know, 
making making lemonade out of lemons, built, you know, cultivating, nourishing a lotus flower out of the mud of cancer. With with this long-term building a life worth living, you know, one example I want to share is doing this podcast was scary. Um, there's fears of um failure, fears of rejection, and it fit with my values. Things that have come from this that I wouldn't have expected is I've had a DBT therapist reach out to me and say, I, I have breast cancer too. We've become friends. She's introduced me to another friend with breast cancer and we've just created our own, um, we're calling it D-breasties for like DBT, but breasties is breast friends um, of, of young DBT professionals who have breast cancer um, to make our own consultation team of four sorts mm -hmm. to, to support each other in this. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that if I didn't do the exposure and take this chance where I might flop on this this podcast. I might not be able to do it, and it was it was worth it um, mm -hmm. to try. Mm -hmm. And that that A skill looks like um, going to a Lizzo concert and and having a donut cake and et cetera. But it also is that values based action. Right, right. Thank you. And then to take the cancer as not not mud that's on my shoe that I want to get rid of, but mud that I can then plant seeds and grow something beautiful too. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, along the lines of a DBT, the ultimate goal of having a life worth living. You know, the third thing you asked me uh, caught me by surprise. Oh, your fourth thing, your fourth thing. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Dialectics. Oh, being, oh, of the four things. Yeah, there, there was radical acceptance, opposite action, and then the uh, ABC skills, and then uh, being dialectical in so many ways. So those four things are just huge. I mean, you, that's a whole course in itself that that you've been teaching through these podcasts. And 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 the, and then you asked me about my my emotional response to these things, and I'll just say quickly, um, are you are you caught me by surprise saying that? And I realized that. I'm, I get so occupied with that I'm the host of the podcast and I feel responsible. I'm doing my job that I that there's a whole level underneath that where I'm having emotional responses that I'm not sharing because that it, I mean, but but you know, immediately when you said that, I teared up. And I just realized that um I I have enormous sadness about what you've gone through, you know. And if I let myself experience it, um, I immediately want to cry. Yeah. I've known a lot of people, I've lost a lot of people as most of us have in our lives by the time you're my age. And, uh, and, and, it, and uh, they just popped up in my mind, you know, and, and I thought, oh my God, what you've gone through. And I'm so touched by what you've gone through. And I'm so pleased that you were on the podcast so that I feel like, I feel like a bond has happened between you and me that I didn't have before. So your cancer has brought me a blessing I didn't have, but also has brought me sadness just knowing what you've had to cope with day after day so yeah, yeah that's sort of where it goes um well we have to stop I, I this doesn't close out the possibility that we'll be doing another thing but uh, uh podcast but i and i wish you and i'm sure i'm speaking on behalf of everybody who would hear this wish you really the best in this next phase of uh, so-called semi sort of partly survivorship but also a new trial um, and back to work. And I, I love thinking that you're gonna be back there working with your colleagues and patients. So thank you for coming on the podcast, Andrea. It really means a lot to me. Thanks for this opportunity to do this exposure with you, Charlie. And I'm so fucking glad I have.
I got to run to go do my trial. I know you do. I know. I'm literally going right now to Columbia. See you. Bye. Hey, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good luck.